Welcome to the Parkcast series, episode 40, part 1, Understanding Concurrent Disorders. The Parkcast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archives. This podcast affiliates the listener with grounding knowledge and concepts using a child welfare lens. Common intersections between mental health and substance use are exemplified by outlining pertinent research and discussing implications for the field. Concurrent Disorders, the whole versus the sum of its parts. As assessment tools become ever more accurate and child welfare investigations more detailed, our understanding of the children we serve broadens into a palette of seemingly isolated presenting problems and issues we are tasked with troubleshooting. This new spectra of inter- and intrapersonal psychosocial deficits will often surface as disjointed, attached to what singular behaviors we witness and deem a causal force that represents deeper problems. Child welfare workers often refer to these scenarios as complex cases, such that multiple issues surround a child's environment and confound the connections between a problem and its rooted source. This podcast endeavors to support the worker when such complicated cases arise by providing a framework of interconnectivity. Throughout this podcast, evidence and discussion will establish links between various domains of child well-being and illuminate a web of relationships that will aid in the use of therapeutic interventions when multiple presenting problems co-occur. In Part 1, results from empirical studies build pathways between childhood history, behaviors, mental health status, and substance abuse, while underpinning connections between theories. In Part 2 of this podcast episode, concurrent disorder concepts in service delivery are explained, to lay groundwork for treatment approaches and interventions in cases for children and youth. In essence, this is the practice of understanding our cases as a whole, greater and more accurately depicted than the mere sum of their parts. What are concurrent disorders? Before discussing the intricacies of concurrent disorders for children involved in the child welfare system, it is important to anchor this topic to a common definition. Though the term is often confused as exchangeable with a number of different clinical nomenclature, concurrent disorders has distinct reference and meaning in Ontario. The Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care refers to concurrent disorders as a co-occurring mental health and addiction problem. This terminology is sometimes inaccurately interchanged with some clinical references, such as comorbid disorders, which refers to the presence of more than one significant health problem, or dual diagnosis, which is used to describe the co-occurrence of a developmental and psychiatric disorder. The term concurrent disorder is also no longer exclusively associated with medical and or clinical settings. Many community-based and non-clinical services have begun to adopt this language as an encompassing reference to cases with multiple domains of mental health and addictions needs. Of course, either aspect of a concurrent disorder mental health and addiction, can themselves have multiple definitions in practice. However, when applying the term, practitioners should know that when both mental health and addictions-related issues exist, a concurrent disorder is most likely present. A concurrent disorder can refer to any combination of clinical or non-clinical psychiatric disorder and substance use problem. The former is explained by common subgroup throughout this podcast and can include anxiety, mood, psychotic, eating, personality, and behavioral disorders. 
while substance use can refer to the presence of stimulant, sedative, opioid, and hallucinogen use. As well, the term substance use is more inclusive of the various phases of involvement with drugs and or alcohol, especially in youth where the diagnosis of addiction is commonly avoided, and will henceforth be used in this podcast in substitution of addiction. To add to the diversity of what constitutes a concurrent disorder, practitioners may find that clients are experiencing more than one mental health and or substance use problem at a time, contributing to the complexity of their case overall. Furthermore, each disorder does not necessarily require a formal diagnosis to be considered as existing within this model. Practitioners, especially in child welfare where children might not have had formal psychiatric assessment, must be willing to include the many mental health and substance use dimensions of a single case, even if those dimensions have not yet been formally recognized by a diagnostic professional. Such case issues are further explored in the body of this podcast. This spectrum obviously lends itself to a plethora of combinations and experiences of concurrent disorders, and, as evidenced in the rest of this podcast, a practitioner's focus is best directed toward not the symptomology of each problem necessarily, but the relationship between each disorder. Two basic models delineate typical approaches to multiple causes of a presenting problem. A triage model is typical of medical and traditional treatment approaches and seeks to reduce case-related issues by ranking each in priority by assessing severity and risk, then implementing treatment sequentially. The linearity of this model can distract practitioners from investigating relatedness among multiple presenting problems and consequentially risk missing crucial information regarding the interrelatedness of a single case. A holistic model seeks to understand a case beyond its singular components, and in its entirety as a web of enmeshed actions, behaviors, thoughts, emotions, and health status. This model is more privy to treating for multiple problems at the same time, and moreover, ensuring that each intervention acknowledges and works with the multiple competing issues and needs. The approach to care adopted by you and your agency will have significant impacts on which kind of treatment model you adopt. Critically reflect on the approach taken to cases in your agency and begin asking how you can better integrate a holistic model of care. Are there changes that need to occur for you to consider concurrent disorders effectively? Thinking critically. Agency context. Concurrent disorders, as evidenced in the introduction of this podcast, can look like many different combinations of case-based issues at the same time. How does your practice and agency handle multiple issues related to a single case? Prevalence in child welfare. Child welfare research is only just beginning to explore the concept of concurrent disorders, indicating a lag behind practice knowledge and, indeed, the rest of the research world. However, a series of studies seeking to better understand the intersectionality of mental health and substance use issues in children involved in the child welfare system do exist, though they might not be formally recognized as concurrent disorder research. Studies on services point to a disconnect between need and response for concurrent disorders. Using a cross-sectoral sample of staff serving youth across Canada, Henderson and colleagues found that 55% of users had a concurrent disorder, but only 42% of programs reported having concurrent disorder-specific services. 
Within child welfare specifically, studies on general prevalence indicate that youth who were ever in foster care report higher levels of co-occurring mental health and substance use problems than youth without a lifetime history. Adolescents represent the largest proportion of these youth and are presenting with increasingly higher rates of concurrent disorders, possibly due to increased awareness of youth-related concurrent disorders by practitioners. Reports on demographics yield some discrepancies between race, placement, socioeconomic status, and gender. Descriptive studies overwhelmingly conclude that African-American youth and those in kinship family foster care are less likely to have mental health and substance use problems. This is attributed to the protective factors of kinship care, such as better access to biological parents and increased quality of care, and lower rates of pre-entry diagnosis for African-American children involved in the child welfare system. A 2010 study concluded that the lack of reported concurrent diagnoses for African-American youth involved in the child welfare system may be due in part to the fact that African-American children enter care at an earlier age when compared to their white counterparts. Other studies have found that youth with concurrent disorders involved in the child welfare system who were raised in wealthier families fare better in terms of psychosocial outcomes than those with no access to resources. Guibord and colleagues explain how socioeconomic status mediates outcomes by providing wealthier, privileged families with more access to resources that are shown to benefit youth with concurrent disorders, such as extracurricular recreational activities. Lastly, female youth involved in the child welfare system seem to be at higher risk of comorbid physiological maladjustment and substance use when compared to males. However, more research of rigor needs to be focused on this area to better understand what gender-specific factors are associated with these outcomes. Methods matter. A cross-sectoral sample is a group of individuals being studied who represent various sectors and organizations serving one specific population. In this study just mentioned in the podcast, Child welfare staff comprised 25% of the overall sample, which also included representatives from mental health, addictions, justice, and health care service providers. A descriptive study aims to learn more about a specific population by measuring certain characteristics, such as demographic information, health status, behavior, and attitudes. Note that these studies are non-experimental and therefore do not include control groups or random sampling. This limits our ability to assume causation between factors. Maltreatment and concurrent disorders. Many mental health and substance use concerns linked to concurrent disorders have pre-established roots in histories of maltreatment, neglect, and abuse. This intrinsic link understands concurrent disorder symptomology as an outcome of developmental problems caused in early childhood that were triggered by prolonged experiences of neglect, and or physical, sexual, and emotional abuse. This same pathway is theorized in developmental traumatology, or the study of how chronic maltreatment triggers the body's stress systems and is then reflected neurochemically. Maltreatment and trauma can result in dysregulated biological stress response systems and affective disorders, such as depression and anxiety, later in life to which a common response is self-medicating through substance use and abuse in order to avoid or reduce unpleasant symptoms. This maladaptive coping behavior is common among youth in the child welfare system and can be indicative of years of developmental deficit caused by maltreatment. 
A second theory linking maltreatment to concurrent disorders is attachment theory, which examines how a lack of adaptability arising from children who were neglected in childhood can continue into other social realms, such as within the school, social, and peer-related domains. This deficit is caused by insecure attachment patterns in early life between child and caregiver, which act as a mechanism for continued maladaptive psychosocial functioning throughout child and adulthood. This impaired functioning can present in youth as compliant or aggressive interpersonal strategies, leading to vulnerability to ongoing relationship failures and poor self-esteem. Such frameworks of understanding for concurrent disorders are backed by outcomes in research. High rates of concurrent disorders have been documented in survivors of physical and sexual forms of interpersonal violence, while longitudinal studies have linked maltreatment in youth to increased symptoms of adult depression, anxiety, impairment due to physical health problems, and lifetime alcohol and substance abuse. Long-term effects of substance abuse in adolescents with a history of maltreatment are also associated with various cognitive learning, memory, and attention deficits, and indicate the extraneous risks associated with continued substance abuse in youth. Together, these findings emphasize the prolonged mental health and substance use risks associated with maltreatment, and urge child welfare practitioners to consider how each systemic development contributes to a concurrent disorder. Methods matter. A longitudinal study collects data across various points over an extended period of time. These studies help us understand long-term developments of a certain population by comparing data between different time intervals. From longitudinal studies, we can gather important information about change over time, and measure how a specific factor of the same sample may develop through a timescale. This can help practitioners more accurately assess a problem and use timing as a reference to make more appropriate decisions. Thinking critically. Client preferences. Maltreatment is a pervasive issue in children with concurrent disorders. What are some of the ways you can be sensitive to the trauma and maltreatment histories of your clients? How can you engage clients in services that are trauma-informed? Mental Health and Behavioral Disorders This section of the Concurrent Disorders podcast subsets common mental health concerns within child welfare samples and describes how the advent of substance use can interact with each. Broadening the criteria for concurrent disorders to include behavioral issues and their associated interventions is critical in the case of youth, where developmental aspects of adolescence have substantial impacts on the psychosocial outcomes of this population. Impairments in the development of youth during this period can manifest in different behavioral problems that can be an indication of deeper emotional and mental health issues. Common mental health needs associated with behavioral disorders and child welfare services include issues with anger, anxiety, and substance use. Baker and colleagues make sure to emphasize the link between ongoing substance abuse in youth and risk for suicidal ideation, illuminating the depth of behavioral challenges that can arise from unacknowledged substance abuse and mental health issues within this group. Post-traumatic stress disorder. A common mental health concern linked with concurrent disorders is post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD which is caused as a result of exposure to trauma, 
and has been found to increase the risk of developing a substance use disorder by two to five times. The Centre for Addictions and Mental Health in Ontario defines PTSD as an inability to integrate a traumatic experience or experiences into one's life, leading to the development of specific patterns of avoidance and hyperarousal. Symptoms can include intrusive re-experiencing, avoidance, numbing, increased arousal, and negative alterations in cognitions and mood. It should be noted that anxiety and PTSD share similar symptomology and are often used interchangeably. However, PTSD is diagnosable because of its specific causal pathway from traumatic experiences, whereas anxiety is treated as a symptom of this. These same symptoms may occur for people who either do not meet clinical diagnosable standards for PTSD or have not yet been tested. The association between PTSD and substance abuse has been explored in the child welfare literature and continues to mount an interest. Tonmere and colleagues found the level of anxiety in young adolescents involved with child welfare were independently associated with rates of substance abuse after controlling for gender and other factors. This relationship is largely accepted as linear and causal. One study found that the average age of onset for PTSD in youth involved in the child welfare system to be considerably lower than it is for substance use, 11 and 14 years respectively. This evidence suggests that PTSD places youth at greater risk for developing a substance use disorder and, moreover, using substances to medicate and cope with PTSD symptoms. Methods matter. A control variable in a study is used to remove other possible alternative explanations of the results, outside of the intended cause. This is typically done by removing specific factors, such as gender, age, or health status, and rerunning statistical tests to compare results. Because experiences of maltreatment are trauma-inducing, the use of substances can be a powerful treatment against unwanted symptoms. PTSD in early life is developed when a child's ability to cope with an experience is overwhelmed and therefore cannot be healthily processed both mentally and emotionally. Drugs and alcohol substitute as incredibly effective coping responses to symptomology associated with trauma, but offer their own extensive list of risks for youth. This is often a difficult process to intervene on, as both PTSD and substance abuse are self-perpetuating and anxiety issues associated with PTSD are also associated with difficulties in curtailing substance use. This same form of anxiety causes difficulties in discussing substance use with professionals, such as school counselors, likely due to social sensitivities and fear of judgment. Not every person who has experienced a traumatic event or events will develop PTSD, but in incidences where chronic exposure to violence or maltreatment is evident, higher rates of PTSD are found. Researchers have found that experiencing an assault increased the risk of substance abuse alone in both children and adults, but an added diagnosis of PTSD would make an individual much more privy to being diagnosed concurrently with a substance use disorder. PTSD that develops from childhood maltreatment may be more complex than cases resulting from a single trauma. This means that other variables are commonly included in the PTSD diagnosis, including conduct disorder and polysubstance use and abuse. 
Practitioners should be aware of all risks associated with PTSD and investigate thoroughly in such cases. Depression. Another mental health concern commonly associated with concurrent disorders is depression. As a complex mood disorder, depression can present as a number of different symptoms and behaviors in youth, often with confounding outcomes. For example, one youth with depression may experience a loss of appetite and consequently lose weight at an unhealthy rate. On the other hand, another symptom found in individuals with depression is overeating, leading to a rapid gain in body mass. As with PTSD, symptoms of depression may surface even when a youth or child has not been diagnosed as such. It is important for practitioners to learn individual case-related signs of depression and understand the risks associated with concurrent disorders. Rates of substance use disorders and polydrug use are higher in youth with depression and vice versa when compared to youth without this concurrent disorder who are involved with the child welfare system. This specific concurrent disorder also leads to poorer treatment outcomes and higher relapse rates than those with a substance use disorder alone. Onset of depression and substance use problems are interwoven and typically increase in prevalence from middle through late adolescence, with earlier age of onset leading to more severe substance use when depression is also a factor. The self-medicating cycle is also quite prevalent when a youth has concurrent depression and substance use problems. Alcohol use is especially associated with relieving depression and has been studied to effectively aid in subduing feelings of hopelessness attached to this mental health concern. Individuals with concurrent depression and substance abuse are also known to begin abusing substances earlier in life when compared to those with substance use disorders only. Understanding the interactivity of substances in relation to their medicating effects on depression is crucial for practitioners who seek meaningful interventions in such cases. Sensation-seeking Sensation-seeking is discussed in literature as being a pseudo-behavioral and personality-based factor related to a strong desire to seek experiences and feelings that are novel and intense. Youth prone to sensation-seeking are predisposed to taking social and health-related risks that can be intensified with substance use. For example, a 2011 study found that delinquent conduct associated with sensation-seeking, combined with marijuana use, were significant predictors of engaging in HIV risk-related behavior. In this way, sensation-seeking can trigger substance abuse and lead to such adverse outcomes and case examples of youth involved in the child welfare system. This same relationship is exacerbated because sensation-seeking youth engaging in substance abuse behavior have a harder time following through with treatment referrals. Substance use, particularly alcohol, is also more likely to be measured as early onset in sensation-seeking adolescents. Sensation-seeking can fuel a substance abuse issue and therefore must be considered in cases where youth are negatively impacted by their substance-using habits. Impulsivity, or a predisposition toward rapid reactions to internal and external stimuli without regard to the negative consequences, is closely related to sensation-seeking in that it is often an outcome of unmanageable desires to seek rewarding experiences. Adolescents with impulsivity problems who also abuse alcohol are less likely to seek and receive treatment for their behavioral challenges, 
and are also prone to serious health-related risks. Some research on impulsivity in a child welfare sample focuses on HIV risk behavior, noting that adolescents scoring high for impulsivity on the Substance Use Risk Profile Scale, or SERPs, who were also using alcohol, were two times more likely to have vaginal sex without a condom than those who did not use alcohol. Of this same study, adolescents using marijuana who met the criteria for delinquent behavior were two and a half times more likely to engage in HIV risk behavior than those with high impulsivity alone. These results underscore how substances often have an exacerbating effect on symptoms of behavior-based disorders and consequently place the youth at higher health-related risks. Methods matter. Tools such as the SERPs are designed to help researchers measure variability and severity of substance use within a specific sample. Oftentimes, data from these scales are used as eligibility criteria by providing a specific threshold of substance use to determine participation in a study. In this case, SERPs is also used as a practice-friendly assessment tool. More information on SERPs is provided in Part 2 of this podcast. Conduct Disorders A final behavioral-based concern highlighted in the literature is that of conduct disorders and associated problems. Conduct disorders relate to a persistent pattern of behavior that deviate from age-appropriate norms. Such behaviors are often referred to as antisocial. Conduct problems and disorders are significantly associated with substance abuse in the literature, and manifest as a number of internalizing and externalizing behaviors. Unmanaged outward and inward expressions of anger are known to increase vulnerability for substance abuse and can reflect feelings of shame associated with maltreatment. Subsequently, substances are used to self-medicate and cope with these feelings, enforcing an unhealthy cycle of self-reliance on the numbing effect of substances. This same behavior promotes isolation from peers, caregivers, and helping professionals, and must be recognized in its relevance to a youth's possible inability to regulate emotions. Thinking critically. Practitioner wisdom. Think about your previous experiences of cases where the discussed mental health issues were present. What have you learned about children who have experienced these mental health issues? How can you include best practices from your past into a concurrent disorder framework? Are there any biases that you hold about specific mental health conditions that may be affecting your judgment and decisions? Conclusion. What did we learn and what are we missing? Research findings on prevalence and outcomes of concurrent disorders are a burgeoning topic of interest that is just beginning to encroach in child welfare. This may be due in part to the challenges associated with early diagnostics in addictions and mental health for children, but the early advances in this topic also indicate the newness of a concurrent disorder framework within child welfare. This podcast has focused on topics that are field-relevant and have presence in the literature, though some concerns may be missing due to lack of reported information. As the concept of concurrent disorders continues to grow in popularity within the field, our knowledge of their treatment and related outcomes will also expand. Researchers suggest that the popularity of this subject in other disciplines will only add impetus for such a development in child welfare. Part 1 of this podcast was dedicated to building a framework of knowledge and understanding of concurrent disorders, 
by reviewing the literature, discussing theory, and drawing out different aspects of the concept. The second part of this podcast will expand from this foundation by integrating practical approaches to interventions and service delivery. Key Summary Points A concurrent disorder framework of practice is focused on exploring the relationships between co-occurring mental health and substance use issues, drawing out perpetuating and self-medicating factors rather than treating for each issue in isolation. Youth with concurrent disorders can present much differently when compared to adults. Practitioners must be willing to consider various types of mental health and behavioral problems, as well as varying substance use severities, as functioning concurrently and interrelatedly. Concurrent disorders in child welfare have strong connections to early childhood maltreatment and experiences of trauma. Understanding the impact of maltreatment on a child's developmental pathways and its consequences for mental health and substance use are pivotal to adopting a holistic concurrent disorder framework. You have been listening to the Parkcast series, Episode 40, Part 1, Understanding Concurrent Disorders. At parkcanada.org, you can access Part 2 of this episode, Concurrent Disorders, Implications for Child Welfare Practitioners, as well as literature reviews in print format in the Particles Library. The Parkcast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about and additional resources on this episode's topic, the Parkcast series, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org.